Have you ever dreamt of becoming a falconry master? Well, Joseph Farian, who represents the Special Licenses Unit at the Division of Fish and Wildlife for the Department of Environmental Conservation, brings us soaring through the skies to show us what it takes to become a true falconer here in New York State. I'm Gabriel Petrazio, Finger Lakes One News, and this is The Daily Debrief. And on this edition, Joe gives us a behind-the-scenes look at the state's long-standing falconry program as we ask, what does it take to join their elite ranks? As previously mentioned, the falconry program has been flying strong, and their current membership numbers reflect that, especially among aspiring youth, who can be as young as 14, according to Joe. I just look at our records. We have about 80 apprentices in the state right now, about 113 general falconers and you know, 87 master falconers right now currently licensed. You're seeing something healthy there. You're seeing a good pool of apprentices coming in. Not all will stay with it, but 78 is a great number because a good percentage of them will stick with it, get the experience and all that, and then move on to pass this program down. This is, this is the exact same way it's been being passed down for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, and that kind of healthy numbers is actually what, what allows that. young New ones coming in, they're not all young. There's old people coming in as apprentices too, but they learn it and then they pass it down. So those, those are actually healthy numbers. You're right to see that spread in the pool of falconers in New York. I can say from my experience, uh, the, we don't have as many young folks come in, but the ones that come in, they are so gung-ho. They are so, they've done so much reading already. They are almost experts coming in. Some of these younger folks they are so passionate about it. And they do maintain it for their, their lifetime. Really, really good. And again, seeing the young folks coming in, that's we love seeing that. I think anyway, even if you don't work for environmental conservation, knowing that young folks are involved in what's going on with the earth around them, that's that's it's awesome. Completely awesome as far as as far as uh, our agency and my own opinion goes. Before even training a falcon or hawk, a licensed falconer must first trap one from the wild and raise it as its own. And not just anyone, a juvenile specifically. Yeah, there's several options for trapping the bird, and this is all spelled out regulatory on the federal level and the state level. We can authorize trapping from September through January of wild birds. They can go out, there's certain traps you can use that lure uh, a bird in, and that's typically during the migratory season there. What they can take from the wild is only a juvenile. The regulations specify that if you catch a bird in adult plumage, you need to release it right away. So we're not taking, we don't want to have the breeding members of the population removed. We're taking the juveniles on their first migratory uh, trip, sometimes even prior to migration, September, October here in New York, you might not, you're not going to see the birds moving just then. But they can capture juveniles, the idea being we're not taking a breeding member out of the population, and it's much easier to train a juvenile, of course, that, that hasn't been out in a while this long. There's even a short season, allowing some falconers with specific licenses to climb trees and extract hatchlings without tampering with the nest or the breeding practices of those birds. We do have a season in the spring where actually falconers can climb a tree and take a nestling out of a nest. Not too many folks do that. It's really, we don't see too many birds taken from the wild that way. That one, though, there's restrictions. If there's only one bird in the nest, you can't take it because we don't want to see the breeding uh, efforts, you know, uh, destroyed by 
somebody taking a bird. If there's more than one bird, you can take a bird. You have to get up there, take it down quick, get out. And there's even requirements as far as putting like a, it's like roof flashing. You gotta put roof flashing around the tree on the bottom when you're done, you know, about four feet tall, paint it about the same color as a tree. The idea being that we don't want a raccoon or anything to follow our scent up the tree and discover that nest as well. So it's been pretty well thought out as far as, like I mentioned earlier, protecting our wildlife resources from consumptive use really by humans, you know, where we're taking something from the wild. A nestling to flight, you actually have to train that bird at that point then. You're not getting a bird that knows how to fly, can feed on its own. You have a whole other training regimen that you have to really teach this bird how to eat, how to fly, how to hunt. So it's more of a challenge for them. So some populars take that option. Not as many, but it's, it's, uh, it's authorized and can be done. Only through positive reinforcement are the falcons and hawks trained to hunt and fly by falconer's command. Each lesson is often accompanied by scrumptious morsels of meat, a reward for their good behavior, rather than punishing them like dogs in an attempt to educate them through negative reinforcement. The training is more seen as like a positive reinforcement. I guess if you think about like our, uh, the dogs we have, you can actually do a negative, bad dog, timeout, independent type. Of course, the dog is looking to please you as a pack animal, alpha male, they respond to it. Birds... They're not so concerned about everyone else. They're on their own. They're not going to respond to negative reinforcement, so it's always a positive reinforcement. You have that little piece of meat in the glove from the comeback, too. You have whatever it is. They're looking for that reward at the end of it. So you can't, obviously, punish your bird for not doing what you want it to do, but you positively reinforce it to encourage and have it want to do what you, you know, are looking forward to do. And there's even the possibility for some falconers to breed their own birds in captivity within the guidelines of state and federal regulations. But the general master doctors have the ability to get a captive bred bird from a, a breeder who might uh, who has a license to breed these birds. There are restrictions on sale of wild birds. If you trap a bird from the wild, you can't sell it because it's the people's resource and there's their commercialization and wildlife. So you can't sell it. You can sell captive bred birds. There's a whole many, many nuances of these regulations and statutes that have been written over the years to, to cover all the ways of, again, protecting the resource. You know, any license we have, there's a multitude of regulations and statutes, federal, state, that go along with it. We certainly have New York State folks who can uh, who have the authority, the licenses to breed the birds and the facilities, and there's out-of-state folks, too, that, that can breed. As long as, as long as they're federally licensed, legally breeding within the state that they're breeding, then, then we can authorize the acquisition of the birds from an out-of-state source. In New York State, we know, because we do the licenses, who's, who's legal to breed or not. Falconers themselves, actually, under the authority of their falconer license, can do limited breeding of those birds as well. They don't actually have to have an additional bird breeder license. They can actually do some limited propagation, provided that the bird is primarily used for falconry. And that, that came about in some changes from the federal regulations back in 2008 that we, uh, we, we got adopted here in New York in uh, 2014 where the falconry license actually got a little bit more authority, where falconers can actually breed the birds, you know, limited again, and they can also use their falconry birds for educational exhibition purposes without having to get an additional license as well. They can do that under the authority of their falconry license, and that's, that's actually fantastic, that outreach, because as an agency, we, we don't have as much, you know, we just don't. We don't have as much staff to do all the wonderful things that we'd love to do. So these folks, like the falconers, who can actually go to different meets, they can talk about their birds, show them to the people. People get a, you know, a live bird in hand. You have an owl, you have a red-tailed hawk, a peregrine falcon. You know, that live bird is like the kids, their eyes are huge. You have that captive audience right there. 
and it's just such a great thing. So they can do the exhibition as well. If they're exhibiting full-time, not flying the birds, then yeah, we they have to get a different separate exhibition license. But the Falconry license does authorize the you know, limited breeding and uh, also the environmental education, getting the message out. And, and back to that crucial thing, I think, I mean, this is my opinion, I think, but, but it is an agency thing, connecting, connecting the public with wildlife. So they know it's there, they appreciate it. And if they have an appreciation, it's, it's good for the human soul and it's good for the wildlife because if people know it's there and they appreciate it, Still, trapping, training, and breeding wild birds sounds like a stretch for some animal rights activists to support. But Joe insists that the falconers of New York State are conscious of their image and, more importantly, their own actions. And you're right, too, because, you know, for the falconers, there are, of course, groups, there are, of course, people who do not agree with, you know, this activity. We, we had, no matter what we do, there's always there's so many different uh, interest groups. You know, so there are some groups that may not exactly agree with taking a bird from the wild and all that. So the falconers are very conscious of, you know, their image, how they appear, and what they do as far as the conservation. You know, not to battle with these other groups, but to actually show that we actually all have the same core values and beliefs in what we're doing. We just, you know, utilize what's around us in nature a little differently. So, yeah, they're, they're very good about that and very conscious of that. The only other thing I just said, sir, we mentioned rehab. One thing, just again for Falconer's credit, Falconers are authorized to, and a lot of them do. They actually work with wildlife rehabilitators. When rehabilitators get an injured, wounded hawks, falcons, and they help the wildlife rehabilitators condition the birds for release. So Falconers aren't just taking birds from the wild for the sport. They're actually using their knowledge and expertise to help our wildlife rehabilitators evaluate and get birds strengthened up so they can successfully be released from, from rehabilitation. So it's another it's another service that the falconers offer. And again, they don't get paid for that. There's nothing they get compensated. They're just sharing their expertise and their knowledge of raptors to help these injured, wounded, even orphaned birds get back out into the wild. So then another, again, here we go again, another feather in their cap. Pushing back against misconceptions, Joe Farrelly explains how falconers across the state are actively challenging these preconceived notions based on recorded data from studies and the practices that he's currently aware of in the field, which are being enacted by those same falconers. As far as the misconception, it might just come back to the different groups and how they view the animals. There are some groups that just, and these groups are fantastic, and we work with them as well too because their, you know, their their passions are, you know, definitely uh, to be encouraged. That you know, leave all the wildlife out there, don't use it. So there might be might be just a little bit as far as that this is a consumptive thing that you're taking the birds from the wild, removing them from you know breeding opportunities, having an impact on the wild population. But actually, that's been well studied. Uh, the federal government did a very lengthy multi-year study as to specifically the impact on wild populations of raptors from the take take of the birds for falconry purposes. And they found that over all the years of the take, all the different falconers in all the states, that they, they issued a finding of no significant impact um, uh, probably more than a decade ago, that the, the take of these birds in the wild does not impact the wild population. The wild populations continue to grow and thrive. There's no threat to them. You can get into bio, biological parts of it because rabbits, birds, they have multiple offspring mainly because all of them don't make it. So the wild evolution is a, is a hard proving ground. So the take of a bird, a juvenile, a nestling is, is not seen as additive mortality where we're actually adding, uh, you know, it's, it's actually compensated. It's really the, 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 the removal of that bird is really just it. it we take the bird out for property, but that, you know, lowers the death rate in the wild. And 
a lot of the falconers, they don't keep the birds forever. The birds, a lot of these birds that they can release, New York native birds, you know, non-hybrid birds, they can release them back to the wild when they're done training them and, and then flying them for a few seasons. And a lot of falconers do that. They they enjoy the, the sport, so to speak, or the, the experience. I, I guess I would call this an experience. They enjoy the experience of taking a wild bird, training it as a hunting companion and, and a strong hunter, and then releasing it and then getting another bird and training that. So a lot of these birds do go back, and we've had some studies. We are finding that some of the falconry birds that release have paired up. They have found a mate, and they are out there producing offspring as well. So it's not necessarily, you know, we're taking this from the wild and removed permanently. A good percentage, not a good, I don't know the percentage, but a percentage of these birds are going back to the wild. And we have seen that some have paired up, mated, and are actually being viable members of the population and, and, and adding more offspring. All things considered, passing the DEC's license tests allows soon-to-be prospective falconers a chance to connect with sponsors and step out with them, even on a hunt, to watch the birds of prey soar through the skies as they scour for small game on the ground. Seeing firsthand if this sport and lifestyle is truly a right fit for them. As far as the, that going, get in touch with the Southerners, when people always, we have them take the exam first if they're interested. We've worked with the, uh, the advisory board and Southerners, and they're reluctant to start with a, an apprentice or, or, or sponsor somebody because they might put some effort into it and the, the people don't pursue it. But when people take the exam, we actually provide a list of our general master falconers when we um, send out our congratulations uh, you passed the exam letters to the, to the exam registrants so they get a list of the general master falconers in the state and they can look to see who's close by and then they can make some phone calls and hopefully uh, you know, get someone who's willing to work with them the falcon community is very very willing very wonderful community They're, they have no issue with giving you their experience their knowledge and, and training falconers in the way of the sport again the reason this works is it's been handed down generation to generation with the idea that it has to maintain a higher standard because again of uh, you know some of those uh, concerns we just mentioned before and we're dealing with live animals a lot of respect for the birds uh, that they have so there's that the new york state falconry association if somebody said hey i'd like to get some information i would have them contact our office our unit the special licenses unit because we'll provide the information for them and they they we would also send them to the new york state falconry association that's the main group in new york they, you know not all falconers are in that group but a good percentage of them are very well structured group and they've even had uh, talked about the new falconers coming in some of the new falconers coming in set up an apprentice program a couple new people coming in with with sponsors and help them make sure they get a sponsor and get them through the uh, what they need to do as an apprentice so that that's an individual private group took it on all by themselves but they've developed like an apprentice program so getting a sponsor is not too bad we send out information on getting that with our exam packet that we send out or that again the uh, congratulations you passed letter and the falconry group will work with people as well so it's not really too difficult and if people just had general information wanted to go out with falconers as long as people have time the falconers themselves they go out most everyone i, I talk with our falconry advisory board they're more than happy to bring somebody out from the public and show them what it is. They'd rather they get an idea of what it is, talk to them, and, you know, so they have a, a really good understanding of what Southbury is prior to making the decision to take on a bird uh, and, and, and really put the time into it. So a dedicated group, really dedicated, educated group that are really compassionate about it. So, you know, even for somebody who doesn't want to get a license, the Southerners will take them out and, and show them the sport of what it is and what it involves. And, you know, and really when you're on that level, that's mine. Uh, I go out when I help the folks. You're walking through brush, getting bird, burdock in your hair. Your pants are getting wet trying to kick up a rabbit. You're willing to do that just when you all pull the burdock out of your clothes and you're, you're well on your way to becoming a falconer. I'm Gabriel Petrazio, Finger Lakes One News.
That's all for today. The Daily Debrief is our show about the stories that shape life as we know it. New episodes are published Monday through Friday on FingerLakes1.com. It's hosted by me, Gabriel Petrazio, and Josh Durso. You can find the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and several other platforms. Visit FingerLakes1.com forward slash daily to see the links to all of our previous programs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.